Welcome to, or welcome back to, the Flowcast. This is the podcast for information and inspiration on your journey to finding your flow. My name's RJ, and I'm joined by my co-host, Telsey. Together, we explore topics surrounding flow, as well as lead by example through our own passions and those of the guests that we interview. So let's dive right in. Hey everyone, just before we get started, big thanks as always to Flow Spa for making it possible for us to keep making this podcast. Flow Spa is Peterborough's float therapy and sports recovery center, providing float tanks, infrared sauna, contrast therapy, and the Normatec recovery system for deep relaxation and recovery and to help you find your flow. Hey everyone, it's RJ here and welcome back to the Flowcast. This episode's going to be a little bit different than the usual episodes as we're going through the whole COVID-19 situation. We are reaching towards the end of it and hopefully things will come back to some semblance of normal again soon, but it's still challenging to get guests on or arrange for Zoom interviews and There's obviously the technical difficulties that go into the audio and video quality of those Zoom interviews, which is less than ideal, but sometimes gets for really great content. And one of the episodes recently that actually had really awesome content, which I hope you listened to, was when my friend Tony Francis was on and he was talking about his recent experience doing a silent meditation retreat from home as a virtual retreat during the COVID-19 pandemic. And there's been a lot of questions that have come to mind because of that episode. And I just wanted to talk about one idea that came to mind based on that episode today with reflecting on it. And the question in particular is what can we learn and apply to our own lives based on not only Tony's experience, but the experience of anybody that's gone on a silent meditation retreat. I think part of what really got me curious about this question and how we can go about maybe learning from those experiences is doing my research for the episode with Tony and trying to get some good questions to ask him about the silent meditation retreat experience, I was rereading part of Sam Harris's Waking Up book. And in Waking Up, he talks about his experiences with silent meditation retreats. And the one in particular at the start of the book is a reflection on when he was 16 years old was when he did his first retreat. And kind of looking back on it, of course, saying how it provides these experiences that humans can't get anywhere else other than through the actual difficulty and challenge and turmoil of going through a silent meditation retreat, an extended one, you know, for days at a time or weeks. And that's what happened with, you know, Sam, even in his early days going out into the woods as a 16 year old to do his very first silent retreat, which involved also days of solitude in the woods. And so it was a very extreme version of it. 
but it got me thinking and wondering what can we learn and apply from that? Because obviously not everybody's going to just go out into the woods on their own. We don't all have the time, luxury, or availability to do that for ourselves. But I think there's a lot of good we can take from experiences like that and apply to our own lives or challenge ourselves in certain ways to get a little bit closer to whatever that experience that Sam Harris says is so illustrious of those types of longer form silent retreats. And so today I wanted to reflect on some of what Tony has said on the podcast in regards to his retreat experience and also my thoughts on what we can take from that and apply for ourselves. And the first thing is, you know, the idea that we're always chasing the next mountain in front of us is something that is central to the whole purpose of mindfulness and meditation, becoming more present in the current moment rather than so future focused and driven towards future goals and objectives is something that defeats the purpose of meditation, trying to bring you back into the present moment where you're no longer stuck in whether it's the past or looking towards the future. And I like this analogy of the mountain and thinking of even in the instances where somebody is trying to achieve some sort of objective like climbing a mountain or hiking to the top of a mountain for a little more practical example for most of us is on the journey towards the top of the mountain we don't actually see much of the mountain you know because we are surrounded by the forest at the base of the mountain we're in the middle of the trees and we're thinking about that point that peak of the mountain and how great it'll feel to get to the top of the mountain when we're there We're not really appreciating or taking in the scenery around us. And it could be the most beautiful woods in the world, but we're just focused on that future goal and getting there. And coming to think of this, it came to mind or it resonated with me in the book, The Molecule of More, which talks about dopamine and all of the the tricks and pitfalls around dopamine because it's this neurotransmitter that's future oriented and always driving us to seek out more accomplish more and not be satisfied in the present moment and a lot of us have these issues around being so dopamine driven that we can't settle into the present moment or enjoy ourselves here and now and so when we're seeking out that peak of the mountain we're much more future oriented. We're driven towards that. We're not present in the moment, but the reality of dopamine is because it's always looking for more, seeking out more and not satisfied. We get to the mountaintop and instead of being appreciative of finally reaching that point, we're now future driven once more, looking at the valley ahead of us and how great it would be you know, looking out on the the vista 
and not only just the experience of looking out on it, but we're future driving ourselves towards thinking about what it would actually be like to be there. So that's a very powerful analogy in my mind on this whole always being future oriented. And of course, there's a lot of anxiety that can build up because of that if we don't allow ourselves that balance between the here and now and being future oriented. And so that's one thing that I think is very powerful about meditation and also extended meditation. And Tony talked about this in his podcast episode because he was saying that we are usually going after meditation when we've got this sense of anxiety or something that's not at ease and we're trying to remedy it through mindfulness and meditation through the breathing practices or trying to clear our mind or get rid of those thoughts in our head and so when we're always going towards meditating with this preconceived anxiety that's built up we're kind of skewing the experience and not making it as a pure of experience of mindfulness because there's some sort of end goal or objective that you're trying to attain each time and you're st- you start to condition yourself in that way that you know like like Pavlov's dog the bell rings and the dog salivates the anxiety spikes and you go and meditate as a way to try to calm it down which in a lot of ways can be very good, you know, especially if we do suffer from extreme anxiety, we can help to eliminate some of that disconnect and that future driven sense of always being very anxious in our minds through this practice and conditioning ourselves to meditate at those points. But I also like what Tony said in the sense that it takes away from some of the essence of of the deep meditation experience if you're always doing that and you're not meditating just for the sake of meditation. That kind of ties into the flow state and making the experience more autotelic. You know, if you are meditating for the sake of a goal like anxiety reduction, it's kind of the same thing as going to work just for the sake of earning money or earning a paycheck. When an experience becomes autotelic, it actually brings us to a deeper state of meaning and a deeper state of flow, because that's one of the conditions of flow is that it is autotelic, meaning that it's something that we seek out for its sake in and of itself. It's intrinsically motivated and not something that's extrinsically motivated. And so I would keep that in mind and think about how you can apply that to your own meditation in terms of do you recognize or do you think that you're somebody that is always meditating only when you are in a state of anxiety or stress or anything else, you know, fill in the blank and you're using that meditation as a remedy just for those solutions or are you also meditating for the sake of it in and of itself to help clear your mind in a different way. And I think that's one thing that can really bring about a different level of this meditative experience because 
it's one of the transcendent experiences that we can go through as human beings. And I think that's what Sam Harris gets at with talking about what this elusive thing with the longer silent retreats is that other people or very few humans can experience unless they actually go on a silent retreat. So maybe we can get glimpses of that if we do try to start meditating for the sake of in and of itself sometimes. And the easiest way to go about doing this is to include it at different parts of the week or whatever, where you do have the freedom to just sit down and meditate for its sake. Or you can also incorporate it in different ways. If you are somebody that has a hard time doing seated meditation, maybe you sit in a desk all day at work and that's not the ideal way for you to recharge. You can also try practicing things like walking meditation or getting into a more mindful state by unplugging the headphones from the podcast or the audiobook or the music when you're going for a bike ride or a walk or anything like that and just getting into more of that present state. And then the final thing I wanted to talk about in this episode was in regards to how we can start to experience little glimpses of this longer form silent meditation retreat in our everyday lives. And I think at least an idea in my mind that I encourage you to try out is around the question of can a digital detox be similar in any fashion to a silent meditation retreat? And one thing that struck me in doing the research preparing for the conversation with Tony was this concept of the wound of existence and this idea that there is this wound of existence that can't be healed because essentially people are picking at that scab in a constant manner through always distracting themselves. You can't actually become present and aware of this wound of existence if you are always seeking other things out as a means to distract you or as a means to pacify that wound in you and, you know, try to eliminate some of that discomfort. And I think that's something that, or I know that that's something that a lot of people are using social media for, perhaps even more so in these more recent times with everybody being stuck at home and social media is a very powerful tool for staying connected to people. But as Cal Newport talks about in digital minimalism, there's a difference between the conversation that we can have between two people and the connection online. And we're missing out on a lot of the cues. It's great that we have means of video these days through Zoom and Skype and FaceTime that allows it to become a little more interpersonal and we get to see a little more nuance in the conversation. And my friend Sylvie, who was also on the podcast recently, talks about this quite a bit as she's a vocal coach and she's definitely dialed in her practice in the more recent weeks and months to look at this communication through online means. And uh, that's one way you can kind of learn more about this, but recognize that we are not in 
the same sort of tribal connectedness right now with everybody being stuck at home, feeling confined and really starting to create these tighter barriers around our very small circle, whether it's family members, you know, immediate family members who were sometimes not even connected to if they're in different homes and have to stay self-isolated. We're in these very small and enclosed systems, but we are globally connected through social media and digital means. And it's, it's creating this very interesting effect in people, I think. And it's not something that's just a, a cause of the last several months. As Cal Newport wrote last year when he released Digital Minimalism, it's been something that's been going on and really started to grow and accelerate in the early 2010s when, when ads and different companies started to get involved more in the social media realm and started to have these advertising agencies bid on people's attention, essentially. And it made it a much more commoditized experience than the original style of Facebook being a way to connect different college campuses or within one college campus. And it just started to snowball until for a lot of people, it became something that was out of control. And that's where people can become addicted to their social media feeds or dependent on it in some ways as a, as a means to pacify themselves once again, because it's a way to just get distracted. But it's also, as I was talking about with dopamine, there's good evidence that each time somebody gets a thumbs up or a like or a heart on these different platforms, it's a small chance of being a dopamine hit to your system that is leading people to want to consume more and more. So as we are driven to seek out approval from our groups and we're driven to get these rewards, and especially because they are variable and variable rewards are the most addictive form of rewards, which is why, you know, a slot machine doesn't reward you every single time you pull the lever. Sometimes you may get a little bit and then other times you hit the jackpot and that actually stimulates our brain the most to want to continue to pull that lever or check Facebook or check social media pages because we don't know what we're going to get exactly each time. And that's something that has been engineered into the system to make it as enjoyable and pleasurable as possible. But the reality is that dopamine is not a pleasure molecule. It's actually that seeking out more molecule. We've, we've got to keep that in mind as we look at the effects of social media on us, because it's not something that's intrinsically pleasurable so much as it just drives this and fuels this addiction, this sense of always seeking more. And so I think my my thoughts on this that we can start to challenge ourselves with is to include a digital detox of some sort and 
I know that there's different styles of it. You could do something like a whole week off social media, which I think for a lot of people maybe is realistic. I know in digital minimalism, Cal Newport suggests a full 30 day digital detox, which I think for a lot of people can be challenging, maybe especially in this time, because in a lot of ways, the social media channels is where we're getting some of our news from. Social media may not be the best form of news, but it is one place we are going to to get some of our information and news from at this time. So I don't think for a lot of people it's possible to completely disconnect. And also, especially because we can't do a full digital detox when we need our computers or access to Zoom and access to the internet in order to do a lot of business at this time. So that's something that requires a bit of a workaround. And I think the best option that is also very realistic for everybody to do is follow the idea of the 24-6 method, which you may recognize as being called like a screen off Sunday or a screen off Saturday in which you would do a tech Sabbath essentially as Tiff Tiffany Schlain talks about in her book 24-6, where you turn off all of your devices for one full day each week. And it's very easy to do if you schedule it into a weekend where you get to do all these higher quality activities with your family that doesn't involve screens. So you can do different outings and print off the maps you need to get there. Or even if you have to you know, accommodate tech a little bit in order to make it more realistic. And so you have your devices available for checking maps or directions or maybe making a phone call if you need to call for help, that kind of thing. But you don't depend on it for those days and you try to go completely off, especially if it is social media and checking email and things like that that you don't necessarily have to do seven days a week. And so I'd encourage you to give that a try. Try out the 24-6 method and maybe start a Friday night and go through till the Saturday night if you feel you need to power your devices back up at that point. And then just kind of get started with that. See how you feel and reflect on the effects that has on your mental health, the way it feels for your clarity and creativity. Because of course, the whole idea of create before consume especially means that we're not always checking social media and tech or using other people's inputs. We're trying to create our own inputs first. And that requires a bit of a break and a disconnect. And so if you do this full day of it, you'd be pretty amazed at how much creative ideas that you can come up with in that small amount of time. So I think that's what I want to leave you with today is to try out the, the digital detox of some sort, whatever works for you, and use that as your starting point along with these deeper forms of meditation as a way to strip away some of the distraction and strip away some of the things that are eliminating or making it harder for you to get into this deeper understanding of what it's like to be in the present moment. And so 
that's it for this episode. I hope that you enjoyed this. It's a little bit different, like I mentioned, just because we've got some guests lined up coming soon, but it's just the arranging of Zoom meetings, you know, making sure everybody's got the setup that they need for video or audio quality. And so just trying to keep you up to date with some of what's on my mind from the more recent episodes and hopefully we will have more content coming soon and things will get back a little bit more to normal soon as well. So I thank you for tuning in. Of course, it really helps if you remember to subscribe to the podcast and also leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts primarily is one that really helps to make a difference reaching more people with this content. So remember to do that or directly share it with your friends as well. Whether this episode or another one that has resonated with you, it would be really appreciated. Thanks guys. And I will talk to you again soon.